Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. One of the principles in hermeneutics is what is often known as the first mentioned principle. Sometimes when God says something, that becomes the prototype of the truth as he begins to develop it through progressive revelation as he opens up this truth. What you're about to see now is the first church. The Jerusalem church is the first Christian church on planet Earth. When Jesus died, he went to heaven, they established the first church. It was in Jerusalem. So if you want to see how can we now look at churches, similarly today, we'll look at churches in principle of what they did often in Jerusalem. Now, listen, I didn't say practice, because if we did that, then we'd have to come to church on a donkey, and we'd have to wear robes and all that kind of junky stuff, okay, that they wore then that we don't necessarily wear now. But principle-wise, we can learn from that. So now, remember how I started our message out this morning with problems? How many of you have problems? Well, there was a day that the leadership of the church, led by apostles, which would be the prototype, possibly, of elders today, they were just doing what they normally do. They were praying, they were preaching the word, they were studying the word, they were ministering with the word. And a group of people came up to them and gave them a problem. The church was about ready to go through a tremendous conflict. I believe, I believe they're on the verge of a tremendous conflict. And the reason I believe that is it was drawn over ethnic issues. So let me explain what those ethnic issues were. All right, in Jerusalem, most of the people in Jerusalem that time were Jews who came to faith alone in Jesus Christ. The Jews also had a very high position in their heart for wives, particular, or we should say widows in their church. Jewish people really care for the old people. They venerate them, very much like Asian family. All right? They care about the aged, the infirm, the afflicted. Now, that being the case, there's also another group of people who they came to Jerusalem, but they came from other parts that were Jewish, but they didn't speak Hebrew. They spoke more Gentile. That group was a little bit smaller in the Jerusalem church, so they had a little bit different background. They brought in a different culture into the church. Now, at the same time, the church was trying to take care of everybody's needs, and particularly the widows needed to be served. Food had to be distributed to them because the widows couldn't earn food, couldn't grow food. They were afflicted, older, aged. All right, you, you know what I'm trying to say. All right, so that was happening in the church. Well, this small group of Hellenist Hebrews over here were screaming and they were saying this. We need someone to take care of our widows. Look at the passage now as I read it to you. It says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, that means the church was growing, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows, now circle the word their widows. It wasn't widows were suffering. It was their widows. They were taking it on themselves. Like, what about our widows? were neglected in daily distribution. So then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. I, we, we know you've got a problem. We know those widows have a need. We know this church needs to be fair to everybody, but we can't solve that problem. We need to keep our priority on the word. And so what they did is they got their first problem. So what did they did? They created what we might call now the prototype of deacons. Now I need to be very quick. The apostles were not elders. This is not the first deacon board. It looks like a prototype. 
So where they're going now is how do we get these guys to take care of these people that have a special need? So then it goes on. Follow along. It says here, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men, and then it qualified them. And it began to explain. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But for right now, the only point you want to know is simply this. There was a problem. The elders were a part of it. I'm using that loosely. And then they said, in order to solve it, we need to have others come alongside us to take care of the physical work of those who are afflicted out there. And then they selected seven men. So they worked together as a team. It's not one doing one and the other orbiting out here. It's all together helping people have their needs met so God is glorified. All right, they operate as servants of mercy. It's about the best that I can say to you, servants of mercy. There's a writer by the name of Alexander Strzok in a book that's titled Minister of Mercy, the New Testament Deacon. It's probably one of the best books out on deacons. I don't agree to everything in the book, but I really believe where he's going. So you men that are out here, and particularly some of you ladies that are thinking about helping and becoming um, ministers of mercies, think about what he had to say. Can you listen to this for a moment? Through the deacons, the local church's charitable activities are effectively organized and centralized. The deacons are the collectors of the funds, distributors of relief, and agents of mercy. They help the poor, the jobless, the sick, the widowed, the elderly, the homeless, the shut-in, which today we call them the homebound, the refugees, and the disabled. They counsel and guide people. They visit in their homes. They relieve the suffering. They comfort, protect, encourage people, help to meet their needs. In contemporary language, they are the congregation's social workers. Their work, though often hard and exasperating, is most precious in God's eyes. He is deeply concerned about the poor and needy. Caring for the needy is essential business in authentic Christianity. Yet the needy are often neglected and even despised. This should not be. The local church must care for its needy members, and the diaconate is the official church body responsible for this task. All right, let's go to number four now. And that is their examination and appointment. How do we examine them and how do we appoint them? Well, first of all, we know that they are examined, so there is an examination process. In a few moments, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay before you how we go through our process uh, of selecting deacons. And it's very similar to this here, but you'll see what we do here. I want you to know that this process is also directed by the elders. If you recall, there was a problem. The, the elders, the apostles then says, here's what you want to do to get your men. And then they released the congregation to select those men, and then they took it back and appointed them. So the congregation is involved in this, directed by the elders, actively involved with um, the congregation. The entire process was bathed in prayer. That's a very key thought about this. The church was very much a praying church. You know what? I need to say a little bit more about that. I'm going to go off on a momentary tangent right here. Do you know what I'm sensing in our church? I'm sensing that we're weak on prayer. Now, notice what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we don't pray. Did, did I say that? No, I'm just saying we're what on prayer? I think we're weak on prayer. We used to have a midweek time in here, and we kind of had a little Bible study, but a lot of it was praying. We haven't done that in a long time. I am so convicted about this that I'm trying to figure out a way that I could raise our consciousness and fulfill our responsibility to pray without being legalistic or force people into a box. So my first step is to pray more myself. My second step is to make us aware of it. My third step is, is to figure out a way that 
we can do more praying. Now, take that thought to where we are now. Stay with me. In 1 Timothy, which is basically how to organize a church, chapter 2 talks all about prayer, the effectual prayer. Talks about how that men need to lift up holy hands, praying. So it's talking about praying. It's not that they lift up their hands as much as that they're holy hands, all right? Then in chapter 3, that's chapter 2, prayer. Chapter 3 talks about elders and deacons. So it seems like before you begin to talk about the organization of your leadership, that the church is, is a church that has as a core value, prayer. And I'm wondering if the prayer is what gre greases the wheels of organization. And sometimes those that have the gift of administration often will lean on their gift of administration organization and neglect prayer, and they only pray when the wheels squeak, okay? And so maybe they'd squeak less and we'd do a better job if we prayed more. So I think in our selection that we need to be praying. Now, what to pray about, the Holy Spirit will lead us. The point is that we're partnering with the Lord, watch this now, on selecting the men that God has already selected. So we are partnering with Him on it. Now, back to Acts chapter 6. The first New Testament church chose men who were of the following. They were men that had a sphere of influence. It said, seek out from among you, seek out from among you. So in other words, whoever they were, they were people that were known by other people. So look for people that had some form of influence. Now, when I say that, notice the word is not affluence. It does not mean a wealthy person. It does not necessarily mean someone who's gone to seminary or someone who is intelligent, has got a college degree. Later on, you're going to find that someone has character sometimes than all that other stuff, all right? So seek out from among you. And that's what we need to do here is we need to be praying and that we'd be partnering with the Lord. Who is God wanting us to bring in as a deacon? Who is out there? People of influence. Who's been influencing others? Who've been living out a life of serving, caring for the merciful or merciful to the afflicted? Who's been doing that in some measure? The second one, people who could serve on a team. In this case, it said seven men. So maybe we'll lean more towards the masculine gender for now. So at least seven people. And I don't, the number is not the magic thing. The thing is that seek out among you seven people so they can serve on a team. It's not one deacon. It's not one elder. Nowhere in Scripture does it talk about one pastor of a church or one deacon. It does talk about a team. So they learn how to serve together. They know how to bob and weave. They, they have different personalities, but they've learned to accept each other's nuances. They have different gift set, different uh, eyes and ears in a congregation, but together they learn to have consensus. So they work as a team. We, we would call it synergy in today's language. One plus one equals three. The third point would be they're trusted among the people of good reputation. They are known, they're influence of good, rep they're known for their good reputation. So they're people that are trusted. They have integrity. Not just that they have good name recognition, it's good reputation. It's not name recognition necessarily. Often though you'll find some people that are serving a lot, their name keeps coming up a lot. All right. Next is they're empowered for the task. They're full of the Holy Spirit, not full of themselves. They're not full of all sorts of stuff that they think, I know how to run this church. I'm going to be a deacon and straighten them all out. It's not about that. It's all about humility and saying, I can't do this thing. I'm not ready yet. This isn't going to work. But by the Spirit of God, I know I can do it. And I've seen God work in my life. And I'm going to rely on Him. And I'm going to get on my knees. And I'm going to seek His face. And I'm going to be so quick to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be full of His Spirit of love, joy, full of the Spirit, full of His gifts, full of the fruit. All right, empowered for the task. Next is competent and intelligent. 
competent, it means full of wisdom here. And again, it doesn't mean a college degree, but we might want to say that they have biblical knowledge, enough of it so they can refute false doctrine and know truth. At the same time, they're also wise because they know the word and they're applying the word. They don't just know it, they can preach on it and correct everybody, but they live like the devil. They're both working together. So wisdom is the accurate knowledge of God's word applied. So they're competent and intelligent. They have good common sense. And then finally, they're responsible. Whom we, the elders now, take the responsibility of appointing over this business. They can give them the work to do, and the elders don't have to always follow up on them and check on them and call them three times and make sure they got the job done, that the guys can do it. They are responsible people. And there's the passage again from Acts chapter 6. Then this person that's proved is not necessarily ordained, but he is publicly identified. But turn, if you will, for just a moment to Matthew chapter 20. And while you're turning there, I'd like to go through the process that we're using here. All right? And I, I believe it's a good process. And we'll see how that works. If not, we might tweak it. Uh, but I think it's a good process. We're trying to do it as close to Scripture as we possibly can, and yet at the same time have the congregation do it. So here's what we do. About two months ahead of time, we announce to you folks that we are ready to take from you not nominations of a deacon, but suggestions for a deacon. And so what we do is we put in the bulletin the qualifications and some of the responsibilities so that you know what these guys could look like. Most of you on the other side have been in the church and you know who've been serving as ministers of mercy that care for people, have a tender heart, but also are people that are, are, are hard workers, they're diligent, they're conscientious, they fill a lot of Acts chapter 6 and they all have the character traits of 1 Timothy chapter 3. You know who they are. So as you're looking, it's not a popularity contest, it's not someone who's going to represent your special interest group, but it's someone who you know has a heart turned towards those who are afflicted and maybe I could say it this way. Men, if you died and your family was wiped out, and all that was left was your poor wife, you would want that man, because of his integrity, to make sure those physical needs, and I'm not talking about sexual, would be met in your wife, and you knew she would be in good hands with that guy on the team. That's kind of where I'm going. So then we ask you to submit to the board. The correct board should be the board of elders or the board of pastors. And generally that does come in to Dennis and me and if we add more. They come in to us. We look at this list right here and we're sensing is there anybody that we know because we're on the front end of their spiritual life development and ought to be already been praying for the guys. We are in their heart and their life because pastors are to know their sheep. We taught that last week. They know the heart of their sheep. They should perhaps even be discipling these guys or at least know who is. So they're, 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 uh, they're on the front line of that guy's spiritual development. And if we know that that person might have a good public life in the church, but we also know that he's watching pornography. He's not ready yet. So the pastors kind of get involved in this. So then here's what they do. They take that name, all the ones you suggested. You're not nominating, you're just giving names. We then have a form that we send to these guys, a cover letter telling them that the congregation or someone in the congregation sees something in that person, John Doe, that shows that that person could be a good minister of mercy. And we would like for them to self-evaluate. So they get a sheet that's divided with two parts. One is the spiritual qualifications. The other would be some things like, can you come to deacon meetings? You know, practical stuff. You know, maybe they can't. They work every night. All right? So whatever that might be, they fill it out. They submit it to us. Now, if the elders are uncomfortable with what we're doing, the elder with another elder does not say, eh, you're out. 
they go to that person and they begin to talk story with that person to leave, allow that person to um, have their day in court. In other words, explain, just so that there's not a judgment or a prejudice on this individual. But it's not just stop there. Since this person will more than likely serve on the team of other deacons, those deacons then are given the names. And if a deacon looks at that name that's given, that's already a deacon, and he looks at the ones who's not a deacon and says, you know what? I don't know that I'm comfortable with this person being on the board. That person still isn't, you're out. What now we have to do is Matthew them. And we take them through Matthew 18, and we go one-on-one with that person, not to correct them or, or, or rebuke them. It's let's talk story to find out where this is because we want our comfort level of trust because we're putting our endorsement on it. Now, once that's done, generally two things occur. And I've seen this happen, maybe three things. And I've seen this happen in my history. Let me tell you what happens most of the time. Most guys... When they start the process, they disqualify themselves so we don't really have to suggest they take a time out. Once in a while, we talk to a person, and during the time of talking to that person, we find out that maybe they're not ready yet, and through discussion, they themselves say, I need a time out. Only one time did we get into a conversation where someone said, I don't like this person here, and he did me dirt back then on a business deal. And so what we did is we talked story with that person. They made what do you call it? They made nice, okay? They made nice and all that stuff. And you know what we did then? We said, come on, we're not looking for perfect men. We're looking for men that are in the process to take responsibility and let's move on. Let me tell you, it should be that the deacon who comes in the first year should be better by the third year, okay? So you don't expect them to be at the third year level the first year. So now what we do with the deacons and the elders, we're all on the same page, deacons like this, the elders like these guys, so now we call a congregational meeting because it's still coming from you. You brought it to us. Now, just to make sure that the Spirit of God brings consensus here, we now say we've got John Doe, John Smith, and John Jones, let's say. Not June Jones, but John Jones over here. So now we present them to you. Now, because of our organizational structure, now you can take these names that we have already gone through for examination and you can say, all right, we want to, because we need three, we're going to nominate John, John, and John. And so now we put them up here and then privately we give you an opportunity not to take the whole slate. You can go to each one and you're answering the question, do they live up to the qualifications? Have they been doing these responsibilities without the title? And would you want to be under them? Should they need to take care of you? Those kinds of things. And then what we have is we have a ratification. And I'm telling you, that's, that's about the best we can do with where we have. Now, I want to end that thought before I go to this on this important one. I'm coming up here for this. There is no black and white list of how you do it in Scripture. I want our church, while we might have a system that we do to try to show equitability to our process, I want us to know what's more important is what is the heart of the Holy Spirit telling us about these individuals. It needs to be Holy Spirit-led and not just driven by pure organization. Because what good is it if you do all the right process, but you still get the wrong individual in office that God didn't want there? So we want to make sure that we're together on that. Elders and deacons are used in the sense of plurality. Even in the church at Philippi, although it was small, they seem to have a plurality of elders and deacons. There does appear to be one elder in the group of elders who often is the spokesman, and if I'm using the apostles as a prototype, you'll see 12 apostles, when they're mentioned, they're often mentioned in groups of three. And in the groups of three, you generally hear the top three are usually whom? Peter, James, and 
John in a sailboat. Okay, Peter, James, and John. You'll always see Peter named first, and often you'll know that Peter tends to be more of the spokesperson. So it's highly likely while you have equality with your elders, you're going to have, they're all equal, but one is more equal than others, if I could say that, equal among equals, but he'll have a little bit more of a voice so that you do have someone that is leading. Remember, if you have too many heads in an organization, too many heads, you've got a monster. If you have no head, you have a dead body, so you have to have some leadership there. The word of God, what happens? What's the end result? The word of God is advanced locally and globally. It says the word of God spread. And my heart's desire is that international church would not be a maintenance ministry. I don't want us to be a Sunday morning glorified pure Bible study. It's got to be worship. It's got to be growth. It's got to be body life. It's got to be evangelistic at times. It's got to have balance here. And if not, we're not going to be growing. And one of the ways we're going to hinder in our growth is if we have the wrong people in office or the right people in office but at the wrong time. And so we want to make sure that we're working this together. All right, number two, more unchurched people will come to faith because of that. It says the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. And then finally it said great many religious people who came to faith in Christ talked about even the priests even trusted in Christ as their Savior. I really love you. And ladies, I know you can step up too. You have been tremendously gifted with spiritual gifts, an ability, a passion, a heart to serve. I look at many of you who are so generous and doing for others when you can. This is not a call for you to do more work, ladies. This is my way to just confirm the work you're already doing. So I want you to know I thank you for that. And as the Holy Spirit leads you, you, you go where God wants you in that. And you men here in this group, I really love you. And I know that today could be a day of reckoning for you. Those of you who are, are not there yet, don't get discouraged. Stay there. Stay clean. Stay close. You stay focused on Jesus. And I guarantee that he'll help you have a heart of mercy to the afflicted and put you perhaps on a team of ministers of mercies known as deacons. You other men that are here, if the Spirit of God is convicting you because you have misplaced priorities for so long, don't wallow around in that guilt so much that you begin to um, come against it and defend yourself. Just for that moment, just say, yeah, I've blown it. I have. I'm going to grieve that, that I, I, could, I, could have been, I should have been there. But I'm also going to leave it behind me because, Lord, by your grace, I'm confessing that I, I'm going to get with the program. I'm going to get into your word again and look at these character traits and keep my eyes on Jesus and release you in me. Because, Lord, I, I don't want to be here. I don't want to stay in this maintenance mode. I want to be in a growing mode. And for those of you that have been carrying this weight of deacons for a long time and you know who you men are, I want you to know that you've borne up well and this message today and my call is not because of a lack of ability or availability on your part. We have been blessed and honored by your cooperation and by your help. And for you young people that are here, I want you to aspire for spiritual leadership. And the way you do that is to aspire for your own spiritual life development. Pastor Dennis, and Pastor Charlie, and now... My dear brother Brian here, our wives and others will do everything we can to help you develop in your spiritual life. Just let us do it.
Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you taught us about deacons. And Scripture has some clear principles about deacons. And then there are some areas that are a little bit vague. And I believe you've left it that way so that we as a, as a body of believers can come together with consensus and make some sense for where we are right now and our road to taking care of the afflicted. And so, Lord, I pray that we'll be that way. And should there be anyone in here that's got an affliction today, I pray that they would make it known because this church really, really, really has a heart for people like that through the River of Life ministry and doing other things as well. And Father, I pray for anyone in here that hasn't trusted you as Savior, that right now they're telling you that they're a sinner. You already know that. And that they're placing their faith in you and you alone to forgive them of their sin. They're calling upon you to be their forever Savior. And Father, give this wonderful group of brothers and sisters a great week this week. And in whatever they face, whatever problem, they're not going to see it as a problem because they now are a love slave of Jesus Christ because they're going to see you work in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.